Scotch Stories by Whiskey FM, the soundtrack to ScotchWhiskeyAuctions.com. From Airborne, first time that uh, you and I have met. Uh, uh, I've talked to the rest of the guys a couple of times uh, in the past, but uh, it's nice to meet you. Uh, your first visit to Scotland? Not my first visit to Scotland, but my first time at the Barras, um, which very famous gig uh, for a lot of musicians worldwide. Who you know, very common 
theme basically you come here and then you don't want to you don't want to play your glasgow gigs anywhere else so yeah and you've even, to be here in particular it's great you've even got the pronunciation correct the yeah, ba- yeah. The no, you, Never mind you, learn, you learn that as you go just through trial and error where did you get that from uh well our uh, our tour manager mark spent some time in uh in scotland living right. here for a few years so right. he'll give us a backhander if we get some of those things wrong <laughs> i think <laughs> Yeah. You've done a couple of nights so far in Scotland uh, as part of this uh, Bone Shaker tour. Uh, Aberdeen, Inverness, how did they go? They went great. Um, they're obviously, um, you know, smaller towns and um, places that, um, you know, are not often routed into a routed into a tour, but we've obviously, you know, had things pretty comprehensively booked on this particular tour. It was good to get up there and, um, you know, get to those people who don't get a lot of bands on their doorstep, basically. So it was great. Aberdeen particularly cold? Aberdeen freezing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it was uh, it was absolutely freezing. So, yeah, we made sure that, uh, you know, we got the triple layers on and the T-shirts and singlets underneath and jumpers and jackets. So, yeah. Now, Harry, you, you're the new boy in the band, obviously, but you know not you. That's what, a couple of years uh, now you've been in the band and uh, you were involved in Bone Shaker right from the start? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, obviously this is the first record that, you know, from, uh, from uh, start to finish I was obviously involved in since joining the band. Funnily enough, on the last record, I actually uh, the the guys were recording in Melbourne um, when they did Breaking Out of Hell, um, and I think Joel was on the piss one night in the studio. It was late into the recording process, um, and he called at midnight or something like that. And he thought, "What are you doing tomorrow? Do you want to come in?" And um, we've got backing vocals and a bit of uh, and maybe a guitar solo left to do on one song. Um, do you want to come in? It'll be the last day. We'll have some beers and we'll just go shout into some microphones. So um, that turned out to be It's All For Rock and Roll off the last record. So, yeah, that's a funny little sort of tidbit that ties it all together in a, um, you know, unknowing way at the time, obviously. And then since uh, since joining the band and then, yeah, now coming to Bone Shaker, it's nice to have been, you know, building it from the ground floor sort of thing. So you were buddies before you joined the band? Yeah, for about 10 years, which was, um, I mean, obviously made the process and the initial point of joining the band much easier and smoother than it no doubt would have been had I not known the guys. And, um, you know, who knows what that would have been like if it was, uh, you know, if it was an offer to join a band from the other side of the world you've never met with or anything like that. Um, And then you jump in a tour bus for for nine straight months. So, yeah. yeah, that that was awesome. It's you know, it's uh, it's obviously you know for them a bit of upheaval in the sense that there was a you know super stable um, core lineup for so many years, um, and then for me it was obviously a big change leaving what I was doing previously musically and stuff like that and making that decision to um, you know cut my band and and jump on board. But ultimately, we're still doing exactly what you want to do when you're 15 in your garage playing with your mates it's it's all about that we we are lucky to tour the world playing rock and roll in a band with our best mates the new album has been getting fantastic reviews uh, probably better than the last one and uh, i'm just wondering how well you, you're obviously playing some of the tracks from the new album mm. on this tour how well are they going down live they're going down awesome, actually. I, I genuinely think that um, the 
the immediate reception to them has been noticeably, um, you know, really amazing for us in terms of first time playing, um, you know, whatever it is, backseat boogie or burn out the nitro. It's been immediate, bang, reaction, everyone into it. So, yeah, that's great. I mean, uh, we, we definitely set out to do a record that was live and energetic and as close as possible to sort of capturing what it is that the band does on stage. And I think that um, it's kind of meaning that the, be- the songs, sorry, are just naturally translating to when we step on the stage and, you know, put them out of a wall of Marshall stacks and, um, you know, do it in front of a couple of thousand people. It's just, it's a natural thing that's like, you know, really going across um, immediately, which is awesome. You mentioned Backseat Boogie, and it's probably my favourite track so far on yeah. the album. It's just a cracking track. It's, it's right back to Simple Airborne from, from, from the early days. It's uncomplicated. It's just a yeah, great, definitely. great song. And, um, yeah, even in the studio, at that, that exact moment on that exact day when we were, um, you know, really getting down to the nuts and bolts of that song, um, we were vibing massively on Chuck Berry, Little Richard, the originals um and obviously what they were doing wasn't uh you know wasn't rocket science it was very you know very visceral and simple um and raw and that was definitely the sort of tree that we were barking up when we were working on that song
Black Sea Boogie from the brand new album from Airborne. The album is titled Bone Shaker. And Harry, uh, the new boy in the band, the uh, lead guitarist, is our guest. You, we mentioned earlier before we played that, Harry, the, the fact that you were up Aberdeen in Verness uh, area doing uh, a couple of shows earlier this week. And uh, you were revealing to me that uh, you had a day off and you got up to some mischief on that day off. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it. It certainly didn't start off with the intention of uh, us being mischievous, but, you know, you, you head out to a distillery and you get started on the whiskies and then things snowball. Um, you end up at the local pub having fish and chip dinners and, uh, you know, and then, oh, we better kick on after this as well. So, um, yeah, that, that was great. We went out to the uh, Dalmore Distillery um, and that's, uh, you know, that's... That uh, distillery in particular has a, you know, uh, is close to the heart of a lot of the members uh, of uh, the Airborne bus. I think there's four guys on the bus with the Dalmore stag tattooed on them. So, yeah, that's that was cool to get out there and obviously, um, you know, appreciate the art of what these people do. It's, it's something that um, it's a totally different, uh, I guess, appreciation for the final product once you're seeing the... Uh, the the minutes, the hours, the days, and the years of work that goes into this stuff. So, yeah, that was that was unreal. Why Dalmore? Uh, I think literally for that reason. It was the, all right, well, we've got a couple of guys who are crazy enough about this whiskey to have it tattooed on them. So, um, yeah, we're obviously close by. We were staying in Inverness, and I think it was only about a 25-odd minute trip out there. So, What was meaning was why did the guys couple of young guys from Australia how did they get into Dalmore in particular I think it younger? was um I think for for the guys who've got it tattooed and even um after being out there personally I've certainly got an appreciation for it being um I think for a lot of us it was very much the gateway whiskey in terms of really appreciating it and not being the you know the kind of rocket fuel crap that you can get mm. um at most sort of dive bars around the world it's it really is an art it's something to appreciate and obviously the the different ways that you can um that you can drink it and um appreciate it i guess um dalmore was kind of like the gateway one that's really sort of opened up an appreciation for whiskey for all of us really How'd you take it? Uh, just, I mean, I, I was sitting out there. I was being a good boy. I was just taking it as they were telling us to drink it. And obviously, um, it's one of those things that um, it's almost offensive if you go and just lump a couple of ice blocks in there or something like that. So just super neat. Um, I mean, I did uh, I did appreciate the uh, how the taste of it developed and changed just with something as simple as one or two drops of water. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm certainly an open book. I'm very uh, still very new to this whole world of whiskey appreciation, but um, it's all very exciting. A good friend of mine tells who's well into his whiskies that he's a bit of an expert. He tells me uh, it doesn't matter the the, the snobbery uh, doesn't matter. Mm. You take it with ice and you enjoy it, fine. You take it with a splash of coke, fine. Yeah. Uh, as long as you take it and you enjoy it. Yeah, that's it. And I think, um, I mean, one thing that was really cool um, in terms of the appreciation of the craft of what goes into it and the, I guess the science, for lack of a better word, was before um, sampling a bunch of their whiskies, they had us uh, smelling or nosing, as they would say, a couple of the kind of 
sensory elements that you'd be able to pick up in certain whiskies, whether that's like a chocolatey note or a coffee note or vanilla or spice or whatever it may be. And I was uh, I was skeptical at the time of having a you know big bowl of chocolate shoved under my nose that I'm. Oh, this is crap. What are you talking about? I'm not going to be able to smell this. But it genuinely, <laughs> it genuinely did help. And I'm sitting there going, I'll, I'll eat my words because, you, you know, you do get it. You've got this one that's been aged for this long in this certain type of cask. And then um, that one's, you know, you are, you're getting the chocolatey sort of coffee thing here and the spicy thing over there. And um, it's great. Well, one final question on the whiskey, and then we'll go back to a bit of rock and roll. Mm. Uh, on, on whiskey, can you remember the very first time you, you, you tried a whiskey? I mean, for me, it was, uh, you know, cheap as all hell Woodstock bourbon uh, cans um, as a, you know, 13 or 14-year-old smuggling it into a party in a backpack kind of thing. So, you know, that's not very glamorous. Uh, sorry, glamorous. And, I'm, um, you know, that definitely ended up in a, um, in a pile of vomit and a headache. But funnily enough, my... The the whiskey that was the first for me to drink and appreciate um, in terms of the elevated science beyond just a you know a cheap mixer with coke kind of drink um, was Redbreast um, whiskey. I think it was the twelve year old whiskey. Um, that was the first one that I had neat. And was able to really appreciate that. Oh, this is this is another thing. This is this is bloody nice. So, um, yeah, that was only uh, that was only really recently, um, shamefully on my part. But um, yeah, that was Adam, our uh, our stage manager. Um, he's the man who introduced me to that. So that kind of snowballed from there. Redbreast Dalmore became you know kind of the next step and. Um, even uh, the shakedown, the the band we've got out on the road with us at the moment, they went out to the Glenfiddich Distillery on the same day, day that we went to Dalmore. So, in this part of the world, it's a very natural thing and a fun thing for us to all be, you know, talking about and you know comparing notes, basically. So, back to rock and roll. Uh, we're, we're talking to Harry from from Airborne, and uh, the new album is just uh, it's doing pretty well. Uh, the, the album is titled Bone Shaker, and you recorded it mainly in Nashville. What, what sort of experience? You tend to think of Nashville being country, yeah. Uh, but uh, what sort of experience was Nashville for It was amazing. I mean, the uh, the location was essentially chosen on on our behalf by by the fact that we wanted to do the record with Dave Cobb, who ended up producing. So um, he works out of RCA Studio A, which is one of the most famous recording studios in the world. He's he's the resident guy there now, and um, that's you know famous for a lot of Elvis records, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Dolly Parton, um, all these guys. I mean... It, he was uh, he was even showing us photos of the Stones recording in there in the late 60s. So, um, you know, for us as, you know, huge uh, people who sort of care about the history of rock and roll and what has come before us, that was amazing. Um, and he's someone who's taken on that studio with the intent of, you know, almost certainly preserving the history and the legacy of the of the studio, but also teaching the legacy and the history of um, the studio, which was a cool 
um, additional element for us. But went off track a little bit there. But that, that's how we ended up in Nashville. Um, and yeah, obviously, basically everyone I mentioned just there was certainly known for you know the country thing. But I guess what we saw in Dave in terms of what we wanted to pursue um, in working with him as a producer, um, definitely most of his discography is is country artists from um, from Nashville and sort of surrounding areas, I guess. But, you know, he's heavily responsible for um, this kind of new movement in modern music of going back to seeking real, raw... Simplicity. ...simplistic recordings mm. and um, sort of washing away the modern digital crap and, mm. um, you know, the polish and the... The, with polish comes, um, unfortunately, in a lot of ways, uh, auto-tune, sound replacement, um, a lot of computers, and a, and a lot of um, a lot of aspects of the process that take you further and further away from hearing a musician or hearing a band. So, um, yeah, he's he's very much responsible for um, you know flipping. American country music on its head um, in terms of the sound of it and the scene and, um, and you know, putting a more real version of it back out into the world. Um, and essentially that's what we saw that was, you know, appealing to us in terms of what he could do um, with us as a rock and roll band. And you can hear it so much, as I, I said earlier on, on on this album. I'm just loving the the simplicity sim, simplicity of it. You know, it's it's not complicated. It's just just a guitar and a drums and bass and a, a vocal coming in. It's 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 fabulous. It reminds me, dare I say it, very much of the early ACDC work. And I, I remember the very first time I, I interviewed Joel, and it was the first time they played here in Glasgow at King Tut's, and uh, um, and just a young lad. Just, First time in the UK, first time out of Australia, yeah. and uh, I was a bit worried about asking him. You know, sometimes these things can be sensitive with an artist. Uh, but I said to him, you know, how how do you react when you get uh, comparisons with LACDC? And he looked at me and he said, "Well, we're a rock and roll. I can't do this really in accent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, we're a rock and roll band from." Uh, playing the bars in Australia. There's hundreds of rock and roll bands playing the bars in Australia. And we all sound like early ACDC. Uh, he wasn't phased about it at all. Not at all. And I think um, I think even more so uh, for this particular record, We, you mentioned obviously early ACDC. And mm. in a lot of ways, if you kind of look at the, the history of their career and uh, their eras um, almost can be, you know, sort of shuffled into little pockets or something like that. And obviously early ACDC, sonically, um, song-wise, is a different prospect to the Razor's Edge era ACDC, mm -hmm. for example, or something like that. So, um, yeah, we definitely... I mean, Dave um, was someone who was just as crazy as us about rock and roll he's a he's in the country world and done a lot of work um with country artists but he's an absolutely he's an absolute rock and roller at heart um his favorite records are all the same as our favorite records and we hit it off immediately for that reason that we're finishing each other's sentences about this record and that record and whether it's the stones or acdc and um you know we had a ball in the um studio with him you know 
teaching him in a more thorough way about Rose Tattoo and the Angels and some of those other bands from a similar era to that kind of early ACDC um, period. And it ended up, those records, not just ACDC, but the, uh, Rose Tattoo, the Angels, um, Stevie Wright as well, um, ended up being a really um, strong reference for us sonically in terms of that Albert's production sound. Um, that really came out of Australia in the mid to late 70s. It was most of those records I just mentioned were recorded um, with Harry Vander and George mm-hmm. Young producing from at Glasgow. the same studio. Originally from Glasgow. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so we've got the connection there. As um, Jimmy Barnes called Chisel. You never yeah. mentioned Cold Chisel. Yeah. All uh, it seems as though all the great uh, rock and rollers from Australia we've stolen from Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, funnily enough, when you were driving up towards uh, Aberdeen, you, you you weren't that far away from uh, Kerry Muir, uh, Bon Scott's birthplace. Oh, there you go. So yeah. you, you were maybe five, ten miles off the road. You could have popped in there. There's a statue to, to, to Bon in the town square. No way. Well, I don't, I don't think we actually knew that, so we'll have to keep that in mind for next time. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, anyway, essentially, but all of those records were recorded. Same producer, same studio, mm-hmm. sonically had a really unique... Um, really raw and almost, especially guitar-wise, super aggressive sound um, that we were, you know, we were leaning on that in terms of inspiration. And even Dave, he's a um, same as same as the way he's about the history of the studio itself. He's, you know, he's a student of music. He's l- trying to learn twenty-four-seven, and he's there. Okay, if we're going down this path, we're going down this path unashamedly and with blinkers on I'm going to find every old photo I can find from that period of time in that studio have a look at what microphones they're using, what desks they're using and all this sort of stuff and then the following day you'll come into the studio and go hey guys come over here I, I pulled this out of my uh, I pulled this out of my storage and he's like here's the photo so this um, this is the desk that they recorded Dirty Deeds on um, and look I've got the same model desk. Wow. And he rolls that out of his storage and he, he was just as crazy as we are in the best possible way in terms of just pursuing what we were sonically trying to um, go for until we were happy with it, basically. We'll finish off, Harry, with uh, another track from the album, the title track from the album. But before we play that... Um I brought a copy of uh, my book. I've done an autobiography, yep. um, which people persuaded me to do, and it says done all right. And there's a couple of good airborne stories in it, and there's an, an airborne photograph in it even. No shade. Uh, that's awesome. At uh, King Tut's, yep. the first time they played over here. And uh, I brought, brought a copy along for you guys. You're only getting one. You're not getting one each. One you can share, you yeah. can share it around. But uh, one of the stories in it is regarding the King Tut's gig, and another one is uh, regarding the, one of the times you played here at the, the, the Barrowland. And Joel, as you obviously know, has got that unpredictability. And there was one night here at the Barrowland, they did something that I, I was just gobsmacked. It was so good. Probably rehearsed, but that didn't matter. Middle of a guitar solo, can't remember what's so maybe running wild. Uh, he, he gets on the road, his shoulders, like uh, Bon used to do with Angus. Yep. And he went right through the audience, but he gets right up to the bar at the far side of the hall there. He gets off the road, his shoulders, stands in the bar, lifts up an empty pint glass, still playing his guitar through a, is it a wireless yeah. sort of thing? Yep. Still playing the solo, 
puts the, the pint down, the barman pours him a pint, he drinks the pint with one hand, still playing the guitar with the other hand, and then back on the road and back on stage. It was absolutely sensational. It really was. Some people who don't understand rock and roll, when I've told that story, or when they've read it in the book, they said, well, what, what's that got to do with anything? They just don't understand. It's entertainment, and it was just, it, just, it was just amazing. Just a smile on one yeah. extra person's yeah. face, yeah. And my question for you is, the unpredictability of, of Joel, does he tend to do the same daft thing every night, or do you never know what he's going to be doing, going to do? Uh, not at all. It's different every night. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess, like, that's... Um, we kind of see it like a um, like a football team or something, a sporting team, where, where they're um, at those moments to be a strong foundation and support whatever the hell it is that he wants to go off and do. We've got to obviously hold it down and um, essentially give him the platform to jump off. So um, it's different every night. Um, and for us, I mean, this will be our this will be our 40th show on this leg of the tour. Uh, you know, pretty gruelling tour and uh, it's been a busy schedule, but that's the sort of show that we love. It keeps it interesting and exciting every single night for us as a band. And I think um, if we're excited on a nightly basis then that should contribute a long way to making sure that the you know the the people who've paid their hard-earned money to come and see the band are, are getting the same feeling harry an absolute pleasure talking to you you too mate. Glasgow. um have a great show tonight and we'll look forward to seeing you at download in 2020 yes thank you very much
Scotch Stories by Whiskey FM, the soundtrack to ScotchWhiskeyAuctions.com.